Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Moloff. Well, we have a new administration now. Joe Biden has been sworn in as well as Vice President Kamala Harris. So now what does that mean for environmental justice versus environmental racism on this show? And you can see by the title, Will Trump's Removal Result in Ending or Reversing Decades of Environmental Racism? It's a good question. So let's just go straight into it. Will Trump's removal from office spell an end to environmental racism, or will we continue to suffer through a politics of stingy-spirited incrementalism that's intended to create this facade of environmental justice, but not much else? This is the critical question that we have to ask ourselves just a day after the new administration has been sworn in. Now, while I congratulate President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, I'm wary that the promised transition from environmental racism to environmental justice will truly occur, and if so, will it occur in a timely fashion? You know, Inauguration Day, it was a different one because of COVID, and rather than have a party that just celebrated Biden-Harris and their wives and friends, this was intended to be a party for the nation. So, you know, Inauguration Day that was televised featured really some lovely symbolism that focused on inclusion and equality. You know, we watched on television a, what was a tastefully scripted production. You know, Tom Hanks acting as the narrator. It doesn't get much more user-friendly than Tom Hanks. And we saw Jennifer Lopez addressing the crowd in both English and Spanish. We also witnessed the same Republican who a few who basically earlier supported Trump, such as my unfortunate Missouri senator and GOP leadership uh, member, Senator Roy Blunt. Now, Blunt, along with his GOP colleagues, turned a blind eye to what can only be called Trump's Nazism for four long years. Yet here he was, happily socializing with Democrats and Republicans like old friends just back from summer hiatus. You know, we saw George Bush, George W. Bush and Michelle Obama yucking it up. And we saw three presidents, Barack Obama, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton encouraging, really not encouraging, I would say almost chastising the nation. Those of us that have been abused for four long years to suck it up and sing Kumbaya and get along. I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. The meanwhile, while Roy Blunt was greeted with warmth, my new congresswoman, Cori Bush, Ferguson Strong, was booed by her Republican colleagues just a few days ago for calling out Trump for what he was, for what he is, the white supremacist in chief. So I don't know about seeing Kumbaya. Apparently, social collegiality is valued at a much higher level in D.C. than as opposed to the plain unvarnished truth. Personally, I stand with Cory. President Biden's inaugural speech both encouraged a coming together as Americans in addition to a long overdue vocal denunciation of white supremacy specifically. So, I, you know, I welcome his candor and what looks like sensitivity, but now the hard work begins. Now, while I agree that we have to come together as a nation, we also must never forget the treachery of Trump and his collaborators. Trump and every member of the GOP who supported him, including those, enabled, those who enabled his treason by remaining silent, such as my two Missouri senators, Roy Blunt and Josh Hawley, all of them, they must be criminal, they must be held criminally accountable. Too many of our people have been abused by the GOP of Trump. To preach unity without a plan for legal accountability represents a hollow promise. And that includes the issues of environmental racism and the concomitant police abuse. We cannot, like we must not rest until Trump and his corporate-sponsored Nazis are held legally accountable. And every victim of this environmental racism for decades now, in addition to the subsequent economic and political violence, is granted reparations. Yes, I said the R word, reparations. There cannot be a peace until we have full and equitable justice. So this report will focus on the damage done 
by the Trump administration regarding environmental racism in gory detail. This episode is a, an overview of that damage. Future reports will detail specifics. So from the progressive think tank, the Center for American Progress, in February 2020, there was a piece written by Amy Patronella and Sahara Griffin. And the headline is, Communities of Color Bear the Brunt of Trump's Anti-Environmental Agenda. And hopefully we'll get through all this tonight. So Trump claimed early, from his, according to this article, from his first day in office, that his administration, quote, has made it a top priority to ensure that America has among the very cleanest air and cleanest water on the planet, end quote. Okay, like most promises, Trump, we know it basically has no more credibility than the byproduct that comes out of my dog's ass. Sorry, I said it. So it's the opposite. In fact, Trump's administration deliberately dismantled the U.S.'s existing framework regarding practically all environmental protections that covered water, air, and public health. And this was as documented by the New York Times in 2019 in a piece called Trump Environment Rollbacks. And the piece also goes on to a hist talking about history of systemic racism and segregation. So because of those two factors, low-income communities and people of color have been basically burdened with higher levels of pollution in their backyards, more so than almost any other community. And these groups are also, according to this, disproportionately vulnerable, according to globalchange.gov, to increasingly devastating weather effects um, that keep occurring because of global climate change, and let's call it what it is, global climate devastation caused by greenhouse gas emissions. And let's face facts, too, that communities of color and low-income communities have been historically excluded from any political decision-making, which has only made their daily reality far worse. So this particular piece, you know, from the um, Center for American Progress, and it is a progressive group, they went on to basically list examples of the Trump administration's anti-environmental action. They weaken air and water protections, and that in turn threaten community health, public health, and safety. And of course, then we know that Trump was a climate change denialist. And then they go on to talk about the most severe repercussions of the Trump administration's actions or environmental rollback. So number one, the Trump administration weakened protections for air and water. They removed protections for one-third of U.S. drinking water sources. So they gutted the protections for clean water, according, I'm sorry, for clean water, according to CNBC. They weakened the Clean Water Act, and they finalized what's called a dirty water rule, and that was reported by AmericanProgress.org, um, and they delayed action to protect against any toxic chemicals that might be in our drinking water. Then Trump's EPA um, basically further uh, victimized communities of color with basically, according to the NRDC, quote, slow and inadequate enforcement of the Safe Drinking Water Act. So apparently, if you're a member of a community of color and poor, in Trump's eyes, in the GOP's eyes, you don't really have a right to safe drinking water. That's what it looks like to me. And I admit, it's a little hyperbole there, but you get the drift. There were also weakened coal ash restrictions. The Trump administration eased those health and environment, environmental regulations on the disposal of coal ash. And that is according to earthjustice.org. And th these are important because these environmental, health and environmental regulations that are supposed to regulate how coal ash is disposed of um, are supposed to make sure that, it, that the coal ash doesn't leak into groundwater sources, which basically means your drinking water. And that is as, as reported by The Hill. We know communities of color are disproportionately likely to live near coal ash dumping sites. And those coal ash dumping sites have been basically uh, associated with increased rates of cancer, low birth weight for new, new babies, and premature death. And that is reported by earthjustice.org. The Trump administration also proposed loosening restrictions on toxic mercury pollution. They wanted to roll back the mercury and air toxic standards, which were announced in 2011. 
Um, these were they had put limits on mercury emissions from coal and oil-fired power plants. There is no safe amount of mercury exposure. Let's make that clear. And according to Mer American Progress, mercury, a few high levels of mercury, it can pose major risk to pregnant women and their children. And again, African Americans are disproportionately affected. Uh, and because basically, according to the NAACP, the majority of people living near these, these plants happen to be black. Trump gutted the clean power plan. They, in fact, what they did is they actually repealed it according to the EPA. Uh, and the clean power plant was supposed to reduce pollution causing that contributes to climate change. Um, and this really harmed so many people. The clean power plant had a clean energy incentive program according to the EPA. And this was supposed to encourage investment in energy efficiency improvements, especially you know, in homes that are economically disadvantaged, um, you know, and in black and in African American areas. But again, it was repealed. Uh, the Trump administration allowed increased nitrogen oxide pollution. They lowered the standard that industrial facilities um, have to that they use to monitor or assess. Nitrogen oxide emissions from their coal plants, coal power plants, and so these facilities then are really they're allowed to lower the quality and accuracy of the data, which is supposed to assess the air quality in the area. And again, this hurts especially poor communities and communities of color because, according to the NAACP, once again, nearly 40 percent of those who live within three miles of such of these coal power plants are people of color. They deregulated petroleum refineries. Okay, in 2018, they did this. They pushed some amendments to the new source performance standards and the national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants. And those were two Obama era rules. And those rules were supposed to hopefully lower cancer risk for more than uh, over a million, almost a million and a half people that live near refineries. And across the USA, some 6.7 million African Americans live in cities or counties that are near oil and petroleum refineries that release toxins that have been directly linked to cancer. Um, a good example is benzene. And as a result, African-Americans um, often have much higher risk of cancer because of this. And that's according to earthjustice.org. And that's because of the toxic air emissions from those refineries. <clears throat> the Trump administration favored polluters in cost-benefit analyses. This was at the specific request of President Trump himself, according to whitehouse.gov briefing statements. The EPA um, will now be forced to consider social, economic, and energy effects, quote, when evaluating the national ambient air quality standards instead of solely or only focusing on health impacts as required under the Clean Air Act, end quote. Okay, so in other words, President Trump wanted to make sure that instead of having these polluters, especially when it came to air quality, prior to this, they had to focus on just the health impacts of what they were basically releasing into the atmosphere. But now they would have to consider social, economic, and energy effects, meaning that these corporations, in theory, could claim that they are losing money and that is hurting them, and that would be enough to allow them to, I guess, pollute more. It basically weakened the Clean Air Act. And the fact that he did this from a signing statement, really, you have to question it. All right, the Clean Air Act is a piece of legislation. I question whether or not any president has the right to weaken it. And as I said before, Corinne, this really lets the EPA consider the cost of compliance for these, for these polluters as a major criterion when they're going to consider how much pollutants they're going to measure and allow into our atmosphere pollutants like nitrogen dioxide, which is highly toxic, it's gas, 
and it's emitted when fossil fuels are burned at high temperatures, and it can cause some major respiratory problems. Communities of color in the U.S. are exposed to 38% higher levels of nitrogen dioxide than, on average, than white Americans, end quote, and that's according uh, to a journal article. And, you know, this is really something that's just out of, out of line, okay? And then this article gives an example of um, a town called Braddock, Pennsylvania, and they still have an active mill site. Um, there used to be a steelworks there. It runs 24 hours, 365 days a year. It's right near the Monongahela River. Um, Braddock meets Pennsylvania's definition of, quote, an environmental justice area. And that's basically because 30% of the people who live in Braddock are people of color and 20% are low income. The steel mill is Braddock's economic center. It provides employment for many of the residents there, but that employment comes at a high cost. Um, Braddock, as well as the greater Pittsburgh area, according to, let's see, what's called topic.com, they rank in the top 2% of all counties in the U.S., quote, for cancer risk from air pollution. I'm going to say that again. Braddock and the greater Pennsylvania area, quote, ranks in the top 2% of, oil, of all counties in the United States for cancer risk from air pollution, end quote. And then they go on to say 90% of Braddock's residents are at risk um, for exposure to what's called fine particulate matter in the air, so they have an epidemic of asthma. Being an asthmatic, I understand quite well what that means. The plant releases pounds, according to this article, of environmental contaminants. And that is according to the Post-Gazette. Uh, and these contaminants are par include particulate matter, sulfur oxides, volatile organic compounds, and carbon monoxide. And they release this every day. And this, according to this article, quote, this cocktail of pollutants, I like that phrase, it's very colorful, but it's responsible for an entire range of health problems, <coughs> excuse me, that include basically resp worse respiratory issues, according to lung.org, uh, a reduced ability to transport oxygen to critical organs, according to the EPA, and kidney and liver damage, according to Toxtown, which is part of the National Institute of Health. So, Again, the Trump administration doesn't care if people are being poisoned. The question is, will the Democrats care? We hear pretty words, but and I know Joe Biden's got a lot on his plate. I understand that. But we need action, and we need to force the GOP to knuckle under. In 2018, the EPA released a memo which weakened a Clinton-era rule. That's according to the New York Times. And this rule would have regulated suit and smog major pollution, major industrial polluters. Um, but now it would be subject to less stringent reviews or standards, and that's according to EELP -E Law, Harvard Law School, in other words, a division out there. Now, the Trump administration also threatened community health and safety. They undid climate and community protections under the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, NEPA, we did a story on this earlier this season, and it's a very important law. It's 50 years old. It's really the foundation for any and all environmental law that came afterwards. And uh, under NEPA, the National Environment Policy Act, quote, it requires, I'm sorry, it requires environmental review and public input for federal projects. And that includes roads, bridges, oil and gas development, pipeline construction, all of it. So think about the power this gives communities, which is important. Not only does NEPA require environmental review, in other words, a real study, not just what the polluter wants you to know, but also public input. Okay, so because if you're the person that's going to live downwind from these, this pollutant, you have a right to put in, some, put in your own two cents. But the Trump administration... Um, basically proposed rule changes, and we talked about this before on this show, and it would limit public comment. That's one. And here's the big kicker. Besides limiting public comment, 
it would, quote, remove the requirement to consider the cumulative effects of a project and allow conflict of interest. Now, you have to understand what this is saying. When we're talking about the cumulative effects of a project, it's not just the polluting industry comes in and says, well, according to our basic assessment, uh, and we looked at it for maybe a one or two year period, the pollution's not going to be that bad. NEPA requires them to say, but okay now, we want you to extrapolate these, these estimates. What would happen 50 years down the road? That's the cumulative effects, and that is critically important. And then to allow conflicts of interest, no. Is it basically destroys the NEPA law altogether. Okay, so we're going to move on here now. We also talked about... Um, a community in, called named Mossville, Louisiana. Now, Louisiana, we've talked about on the show also, is a cancer alley. And it suffers under these environmental rollbacks. We did a story earlier on Cancer Alley and a group called the Louisiana Bucket Brigade that's fighting these polluters. Now, Mossville was actually a little town in, that was actually created in 1790 by Jim Moss, who was a freed slave. And now the unincorporated town is really just a breeding ground for industrial facilities. It covers five square miles. And in this five square miles, it has polluter after polluter after polluter. And they have basically industrial polluters that are contaminating the air, water, and soil, all with industrial byproducts. The residents there have noticed uh, basically unnatural increases in cancer and other chronic diseases. Um, and once again, they spoke out and in 1998, the federal government created this, they, they basically gave a job to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, or ATSDR, and they tested Mossville residents for their blood for dioxins, which we know is a carcinogen, and the ATS, AT, ATDSR, they found the dioxin in the residents' blood of Mossville was three times higher than the U.S. average, and that the Mossville dioxin rates were the highest ever recorded in the entire United States. So, and we have these other companies that basically just buy these people out. Mossville is surrounded by more than 14 chemical plants. Uh, and, you know, once again, these people have very little chance on anything. The NEPA Act, the NEPA change that acts as that cumulative impact requirement basically strips any teeth out of the NEPA law. Do I believe that Trump came up with this on his own? No, his lawyers did. And they should, they should rot for what they did. Um, and, and once again, it, it's, they don't, without the cumulative impact, these 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 uh, polluting industries don't even have to consider pre-existing pollution either. Like they come into an area like Mossville, it's already incredibly polluted, and they don't have to consider what happened before when they add their pollutants to the mix, as well as what happens 50 years down the road. That's why that cumulative impact thing is so incredibly important. It's like anything else in the law and politics, the the words count, and you have to really be very very uh, observant how they use language. So lifting the cumulative impact requirement automatically reduces, furthermore, the longitudinal nature of any data, which makes it easier for polluters to get away with basically lies of omission. In other words, inadequate data streams. We can't have that, okay? The Trump administration neglected cleanup efforts in toxic Superfund sites, okay? They think they proposed the slash funding, according to the Hill, for Superfund cleanup by 10%, even though there's a backlog that's been the worst in 15 years, as reported by the AP. I know because here in St. Louis, we have Westlake Landfill that is on the Superfund uh, list. They haven't begun to do anything. Um, and it does suggest that Superfund sites, more often than not, are located in non-white communities, but not always. Trump's EPA had a million conflicts of interest, especially their, their first EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler. He was a former chemical lobbyist. And then when he began, he was overseeing decisions 
on a Superfund site in New York and New Jersey that, and these were Superfund sites that two of his past clients were responsible for. Talk about a major conflict of interest. Wheeler didn't say in that post, but still. The Trump administration refused to ban toxic pesticides. There's, they rejected a ban on this one called chloropyrifos, and that pesticide has been directly linked to brain damage in children, as reported by earthjustice.org. EPA scientists, you know, basically recommended that they just ban this. The administration refused to ban it, um, and this product will hurt agricultural workers as well. They slashed the capacity of the EPA. The Trump administration not only cut the budget, but they also decreased the EPA workforce by 11%, as reported by Scientific American. So the staffing levels were the lowest since 1985. If you don't have enough staff, to do the job, then you can't do the job. It's that simple. The Trump administration proposed gutting the EPA Office of Environmental Justice. And this is an office that works to help protect communities that have, have borne the brunt of pr the pollution, especially communities of color and the health hazards. And the Trump administration, no surprise there, wanted to eliminate it because let's face it, Donald Trump not only doesn't care what happens to communities of color, he hates people of color, pretty safe to say. So this is what we're dealing with now, okay? Um, let's move on a little bit here. Trump administration refused to take action on climate change. Well, we know that. They rolled back regulations and they basically did nothing. Apparently, Donald Trump was too busy mocking Greta Thunberg. He had nothing better to do than mock a 16-year-old girl. Unbelievable. But he did more than that. We know that the Trump administration withdrew from the Paris Climate Agreement, and they replaced the Clean Power Plan and the Clean Car Standards so that the climate impact of basically our automobiles and our energy industry was just going to get worse. And again, greater burden was going to be shoved onto poor communities and communities of color. And these are all also communities that have less financial resources so that their ability to move away from a polluted area is much more difficult too. Okay? Now, we also have Trump administration impeded or got in the way of disaster relief. They, this is really damning. According to the NLIHC, which is a government um, agency, the Trump administration, I, I'm just going to read this as a quote, quote, the Trump administration diverted Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, funding, in other words, Two, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security to increase immigration enforcement. So they took money, end quote, from, that was supposed to be allocated to FEMA for emergency relief and sent it to Homeland Security and gave it to ICE. And that was, they did that barely a week after Hurricane Dorian was coming across the southern coast. So funding of some $115 million that, again, was slated for FEMA's disaster relief fund was directed to ICE. Because, of course, ICE doesn't have enough money, don't you know? Too much money. Talk about an agency that needs to be defunded. That's one of them. But, again, this left communities of color and low-income communities really at greater risk. And Trump didn't care. And these are the communities that are most vulnerable to flooding as well especially on the southern coast, and that's according as documented by The Atlantic in 2017, and those that live near petrochemical plants or Superfund sites, because when it's flooded, then they're exposed to toxins because they overflow during a storm. Again, we know that here in St. Louis County because when it rains, the magic fence at Westlake doesn't protect us, and then the new, the, basically the radioactive particulates just overflow into the puddles. We're very aware of that. Nothing new here. So we have this situation with the Trump administration. There's no, there's no 
surprise, okay? All right, and the two writers of this, Amy Patronella and Sahara Griffin, wrote this piece. Um, Amy Patronella is an intern for the Energy and Environment War Room at the Center for American Progress, and Sahara Griffin is a former research assistant for, the econ for economic policy at the center. Now we're gonna move on. We have Harvard's Environmental Regula Regulatory Rule Tracker, okay? So the law school at Harvard decided they were gonna track what, what environmental rules were being revoked, okay? And this was in the New York Times in October 2020. It was written by Nadia Popovich, Livia Albeck Ripka and Kendra Pierre Lewis. Okay, and it was the headline is the Trump administration is reversing nearly a hundred environmental rules. Here's the full list. This just gets better and better. And these I'm just going to pretty much read because you can't improve on it. So there was a New York Times analysis these writers used for their piece, and it's based on research from the from Harvard the Harvard Law School and the Columbia Law School and some other sources, okay? And what they found is that even though other administrations tried to cut regulations regarding environmental concerns, you know, and claimed that the, you know, there was excessive regulation, it was a problem, whatever, what Trump did, they said, was, quote, fundamentally different, and that was according to Hannah V. Vizcara, who is a staff attorney at Harvard Law School's Environmental and Energy Law Program. Now, they counted that more than <coughs> 70 environmental rules and regulations during, were officially reversed during the Trump administration. Let's go further. According to this, they said that during the Trump administration, more than 70 environmental rules and regulations were either officially reversed, revoked, or otherwise rolled back. And there's another 26 rollbacks that are still in progress. And this piece was written just a few months ago. So there may, most of the rollbacks that identified by the Times have been actually carried out by the EPA and also the Department of the Interior. <coughs> the Interior Department really pushed to take our public lands and let oil and gas companies lease them, and drill. And they did so by limiting wildlife protection as reported by the New York Times. They also weakened environmental requirements for the project. Okay. Now, they actually had the gall. There's a quote by, um, let's see now, an EPA spokeswoman who gave this to the Times. Um, you know, and the quote is this, quote, we have fulfilled President Trump's promises to provide certainty for states, tribes, and local governments. And she added that the agency was, quote, delivering on President Trump's commitment to return the agency to its core mission, providing cleaner air, water, and land to the American people, end quote. And this is Miss Viscara. No, I'm sorry, I take that back. Um, that was the spokesperson. Um, Ms. Viscara has tracked environmental rollbacks and worked for Harvard since 2018 and said that the agency um, under Trump limited its own power. In other words, the EPA handicapped themselves uh, so that they really weren't regulating any environmental harm, especially regarding climate change. So Ms. Viscara is actually working with Harvard and she's working to, you know, track what the Trump administration is doing. Didn't mean to, to confuse that. Um, and a lot of the rollbacks are facing legal challenges at the state level by environmental groups. Hillary Iden tracks, right, tracks deregulation at Columbia University Sabin Center for Climate Change Law. And she said that a lot of the Trump era rules, one, aren't really adequately justified, and as such, they're vulnerable to litigation. And some of the rollbacks have been struck down in court. I'm not going to go over all of it, but... Here are, um, let's see now. So they've summarized each rule that's been targeted for reversal. Air pollution and emissions, number one, completed. They weakened Obama-era fuel economy and greenhouse gas standards for passenger cars and light trucks. Two, they revoked California's ability to set stricter tailpipe emission standards 
than the federal government. Again, I'm just reading this. These are direct quotes. Three, they withdrew the legal justification for an Obama-era rule that limited mercury emissions from coal power plants. Again, I'm going to reiterate, there's no, there's no level of safe mercury exposure. Just isn't. Four, they replaced the Obama-era clean power plan, which would have set strict limits on carbon emissions from coal, from coal and gas-fired power plants with a new version that will let states set their own rules. Talk about the fox guarding the henhouse. Five, they canceled a requirement for oil and gas companies to report methane emissions. Well, that's interesting. You don't have to report it, then the data doesn't really exist. And if it goes to court, there's no evidence to prove that the polluter actually did the wrong thing. Six, they revised and partially repealed an Obama-era rule limiting methane emissions on public land, including intentional venting and flaring from drilling operations. A federal court struck down the revision in July 2020, calling the Trump administration's reasoning wholly inadequate and mandating enforcement of the original rule. However, the Obama-era rule was later partially struck down in a separate court case, during which the Trump administration declined to defend it. Seven, they withdrew a Clinton-era rule designed to limit toxic emissions from major industrial polluters and later proposed codifying the looser standards. Eight, they revised a program designed to safeguard communities from increases in pollution from new power plants to make it easier for facilities to avoid emissions regulations. Nine, they amended rules that govern how refineries monitor pollution in surrounding communities. Ten, they weakened an Obama-era rule meant to reduce air pollution in national parks and wilderness areas. Again, I'm reading straight from this. Number 11, weakened oversight of some state plans for reducing air pollution in national parks. I'm not being lazy. It's just that there's so many of these, there just isn't time to do anything but maybe issue a small comment and read directly from it, which is what I'm doing. <clears throat> Twelve, they relaxed air pollution regulations for a handful of plants that burn waste coal for electricity. Thirteen, they repealed rules meant to reduce leaking and venting of powerful greenhouse gases known as hydrofluorocarbons from large refrigeration and air conditioning systems. Fourteen, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they directed agencies to stop using an Obama-era calculation of the social cost of carbon, which rulemakers used to estimate the long-term economic benefits of reducing carbon dioxide emissions. Fifteen, they withdrew guidance directed, directing federal agencies to include greenhouse gas emissions in environmental reviews. Uh, Sixteen, they revoked an Obama executive order that set a goal of cutting the federal government's greenhouse gas emissions by 40% over 10 years. Seventeen, they repealed a requirement for, that state and regional authorities track tailpipe emissions from vehicles on federal highways. Eighteen, they lifted a summertime ban on the use of E15, a gasoline blend made of 15% ethanol. Apparently, burning gasoline with a higher concentration of ethanol in really hot weather increases smog. Okay, 19, they changed rules to allow states and the EPA to take longer to develop and approve plans aimed at cutting methane emissions from existing landfills. <coughs> we know about that in St. Louis because of Westlake. <coughs> the methane buildup is what's causing this underground subsurface fire that's coming dangerously close to radioactive materials that were illegally dumped in the neighboring landfills. 20, they withdrew a proposed rule aimed at reducing pollutants, including air pollution at sewage treatment plants. This goes on and on and on. I'm going to skip ahead to drilling and extraction. Oh, at 26, proposed a rule limiting the ability of individuals and communities to challenge EPA-issued pollution permits before a panel of agency judges. So they don't want us to even be able to challenge it legally. I'm going to skip ahead, drilling and extraction. They made significant cuts to the borders of two national monuments in Utah um, and recommended border and resource management changes in several more. They lifted an Obama-era freeze on new coal leases on public lands. Skipping ahead. Um, they did finalize a plan to open, to open up part of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska for oil and gas development. They approved construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is 
barely a mile from the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. Once again, this endangers drinking water for indigenous people. They rescinded water pollution regulations for fracking on federal and Indian lands. They scrapped a proposed rule that required mines to prove they could pay to clean up future pollution. <coughs> Skip ahead here. Excuse me. <coughs> um, they changed how the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission considers the indirect effects of greenhouse gas emissions in environmental reviews of pipelines. Skipping ahead. Um, they proposed easing the approval process for oil and gas drilling in national forests. They withdrew proposed restrictions on mining in Bristol Bay, Alaska. Um, skipping ahead again. They approved the Keystone Pipeline. They approved the use of seismic air guns for gas and oil exploration in the Atlantic Ocean. Apparently, it affects fisheries. On infrastructure and planning, they weakened the National Environmental Policy Act, you know, it's NEPA. That's the cumulative effect. They made sure that we really couldn't defend ourselves. They, um, they revoked Obama-era flood standards for federal infrastructure projects. They relaxed the environmental review process for federal infrastructure projects. Um, they revoked a directive for federal agencies to minimize impacts on water, wildlife, land, and other natural resources when approving projects. So in other words, they're not even, we're not even allowed to minimize the damage. <coughs> okay. Skipping ahead again. Keep in mind, there's almost 100 of these. We won't have time to go through them all. Okay. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead here. There were also rules that were rolled back. There's absolutely no way we can go through all of it. I'm going to skip ahead. The source where you can find a lot of this is Harvard Law School's Environmental Regulation Rollback Tracker, as well as Columbia Law School's Climate Deregulation Tracker, Brookings Institute, Institution, Federal Register, Environmental Protection Agency, Interior Department, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and the White House itself. So this is an interactive feature. You really need to check this out. All right. I'm going to skip ahead to the conclusion now, and then we might have a little time for our small story. So conclusion. Now that Donald Trump has vacated the Oval Office, there's a tendency to issue a collective sigh of relief. Unfortunately, we can't afford that luxury. For four long years, communities of color, women, religious minorities, the LGBTQ community, we've all suffered at an exponential increase from the white supremacy, or let's just call it Nazism, of the Trump administration. And environmental racism is no exception. You've basically heard an overview of the systemic attack on environmental protections enacted by Trump and his corporate acolytes. Donald Trump and his violent supporters and the GO, in fact, the GOP overall, and his corporate sponsors must be held legally accountable and, yes, possibly face both civil and criminal prosecution. Additionally, I'll add, the corporate attorneys and corporate law firms that represented polluting industries must possibly also face criminal investigation and prosecution if they withheld pertinent data relating to any criminal culpability of their clients. You know, while representing a client, you, the attorney has a right to maintain client confidentiality, and it's supported by our legal system. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with, with possibly withholding evidence of criminality by withholding data, by limiting data, by uh, basically falsifying data, by presenting incomplete data, by hiding behind the cloak of uh, Oh, God, what is that thing they call again? It's basically their own work product and saying they don't have to present it because it's a work product and it's confidential. That's nonsense. The air, the water, the land, everything on this earth is a commonly shared resource. It belongs to all of us. 
and we can no longer allow corporate attorneys as well a get out of a free get out of jail card when they either misrepresent, destroy, or falsify necessary evidence, in other words, data. And finally, in response to President Biden's, I do believe, heartfelt uh, appeal to come together as a nation. We can't come together as a nation until justice is served. We can't come together as a nation until the victims of Trump's white supremacy and neo-Nazism are not only protected and defended, but also receive reparations. Again, I said I said the R word, reparations. We cannot come together as a nation suddenly after four years of, of incredible abuse and violence because now the white majority who maybe didn't like Donald Trump said, well, okay, everything's fine now. We can sing Kumbaya and get along. No. You know, we've been basically almost chastised to, you know, come together if you have a family member that you no longer speak to, you know, forgive them. Well, we can forgive, but we shouldn't forget and we definitely shouldn't trust anyone who supported Trump. Uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, they're not all deplorables. There are some alleged nice Trump supporters. Hogwash. You know, appeasement, To when you try to appease a bully or an abuser, it never works. It never comes out well. Right? And the fact is this. My people found that out the hard way. They tried the same thing. They tried to get along. They tried appeasement. And they tried it, and they tried it during Hitler's rise to power. Hitler did not come to power all at once. He gained some power, and then he went to jail, and then he built up power again. It doesn't happen all at once. And during the entire experience, far too many of my own community, my own Jewish community in Europe, practiced appeasement. And they practiced appeasement all the way to the gates of the death camps, including Auschwitz. Now, just two weeks ago, we saw Trump thugs attack the Capitol. They were going hunting. They were going hunting for representatives of color. They were going hunting for liberals. They were going hunting for Speaker Pelosi and, yes, ironically, Vice President Pence. They intended to commit murder. And the Republican counterparts, on top of it all, refused to mask, putting their, their colleagues at risk from COVID. And then you have a few new reps, not just a few, not just the new ones, you have a few reps that may very well have aided and abetted this violence. You can't have justice with appeasement. Each and every member who is who was responsible for the violence that we saw two weeks ago and the violence during the entire Trump administration, including those that remained silent, but gave license to it because they went along with it. Like, again, my two Missouri senators, Roy Blunt and Josh Hawley, every single one of them needs to be held criminally accountable, at the very least for criminal malfeasance. They broke their oath of office. That's it. And again, I know because I lost some family in the Holocaust. We thought we could appease the Nazis. We thought we could get along, find a way. And it cost us 6 million lives. That cannot be allowed again. We cannot have peace until there is justice. There must be a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There must be criminal investigations followed by criminal prosecutions and, yes, incarcerations. Otherwise, the violence we witnessed two weeks ago and really throughout the whole Trump administration will continue and it will become emboldened. That's it. There cannot be a peace until we have justice, and we cannot come together as a nation until justice is served. And that's it. So we're going to continue with this program. We have about nine minutes left, and I just want to update people that are listening. Uh, as you know, the situation in Flint, Michigan, um, the people of Flint, including their children, were poisoned, if you will. 
by basically polluted water. And the administration of Governor Snyder withheld the information at first. That's my understanding anyway. And then they finally came forward, but the damage was already done. And now, just this past week, we saw that Governor Rick, ex-former Governor Rick Snyder, as well as several people that were involved in the emergency manager law, were basically presented with criminal indictments. And they're facing some some criminal charges, as well they should be. Besides the Flint water case, the entire idea of an emergency manager is not only insulting and condescending, but it's also an attack on democracy itself. Because when you have an emergency manager, especially like they had in Flint, the mayor, the city council, all of that was replaced, and the emergency manager became the dictator. And why? What was the crime of for what crime did the people of Flint commit? Being poor. That's it. Apparently, in Michigan, if you're poor, you don't deserve to be an active participant in a local and state level democracy. That's what happened. So now, I want you to think about that because in the following, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about the Flint case. Okay. I would just say that you know, we have this separate, smaller story on EJR where we talk about is this person or is this group a, an environmental hero, zero, or villain? And I would say right now the emergency manager law, the Mackinac Center that helped push it, along with some other conservative think tanks, Governor Rick Snyder, several others, they are environmental villains. Just that simple. So I, can, I encourage you to continue to listen to the show. Um, let, you know, just kind of bear with me as we work through the kinks. I'm new to this. Um, we don't quite make it to the hour mark, but we'll get there. And um, stay tuned. Stay together. And like my newly minted U.S. Congresswoman, Cori Bush, we're going to extend Ferguson to every community that is suffering Stay Ferguson strong. And that's my report.